This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, the good and bad news about hangovers. The liver goes at one speed and one speed only. Doesn't matter how much coffee somebody drinks or how many cold showers, it will not speed up the liver's breakdown of the alcohol from the body. Everything you ever wanted to know about hangovers when Radio Health Journal returns. As we age, changes in vision can be much more serious than a need for stronger glasses. Without treatment, diseases like cataracts, glaucoma, or age-related macular degeneration can lead to blindness. But many seniors haven't had an eye exam in some time. Ophthalmologist Dr. John Burdall says Eye Care America can help. The American Academy of Ophthalmology's Eye Care America program is designed for medically underserved seniors who haven't been to an ophthalmologist in three or more years. Eligible patients are matched with a nearby volunteer ophthalmologist for a comprehensive medical eye exam and up to one year of care for any disease diagnosed during the initial visit, often at no cost. Launched in 1985, Eye Care America is one of the largest public service programs in American medicine. Find out if you, your friends, or family members are eligible. Visit aao.org slash eyecareamerica. That's aao.org slash eyecareamerica. St. Patrick's Day is celebrated in more countries of the world than any other national festival. In the United States, it's the fourth most popular drinking day of the year, after New Year's Eve, Christmas, and the 4th of July. And many of the drinks, of course, are green. I think of, you know, all the green drinks with celebrating some of these occasions that are coming up. It may be much harder to know the, if you will, concentration of alcohol much less how much measuring really would be going on. That's Dr. Laura Veach, Associate Professor of Surgery at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine. She's also a licensed clinical addiction specialist with faculty appointments in psychiatry and behavioral medicine. In that role, she's become an expert on hangovers. When we do have greater concentration, higher levels of alcohol content in, say, vodka or rum or some of the higher proof whiskeys, then we're going to see more complicated hangovers and more likelihood of those than if we were drinking beer that has much less alcohol content, around 5%. You know, most people, when they're out for a party and it's a celebration time, are not going to ask a lot of questions about what's the percentage of alcohol here or what proof is being used in these punches. So they may be consuming far more than they're used to, and their body is used to, and they may be exceeding limits that are going to put them more at risk for those ugly, nasty hangovers. However, beyond a hangover's connection to alcohol, Veach admits there's a lot we don't know about them. For example, what's going on in the body to make them happen in the first place? With all of this research and all of this knowledge, and certainly a lot of experiences with people having drunk too much and then having hangovers, we really do not, in a research manner, understand exactly what is happening that causes some people to have horrific hangovers and other people to just sail right through and act as if nothing has happened. So we're still trying to understand that. For example, we don't know whether age or gender differences is involved in hangover severity or duration. We wonder, does some of the associated brain cell death especially when there's binge drinking involved, have a connection to that headache 
that goes along with those awful hangovers. More research is needed. Alcohol may make people dance on tables, but it's actually a depressant in how it works on the central nervous system. And even though you're acting like you may have a lot more energy and be, you know, dancing like you've never danced before, it's actually freeing up the part of your brain that's a little bit more inhibited. So it depresses some of that natural guardedness around what we're doing in inhibitions. So we know that when that alcohol depresses the central nervous system, that has a scattershot effect on the brain. And when alcohol is leaving then, and then has finally completely been eliminated from the body, there's this central nervous system shakeup, if you will. It is trying to get back in balance And that's what we believe happens with some of the symptoms that we see, the headaches, the malaise, the irritableness, the grouchiness. In a sense, Veach says, a hangover is the lowest level of alcohol withdrawal. That's where the edginess in mood comes from. Some people report, you know, they may have a heavy drinking kind of experience, overdoing it. But about 4 a.m., they're like wide awake and they're sort of jittery and their nerves are on edge. Well, that's because... The central nervous system has flipped almost, if you will, into an excited kind of stage. It's gone from that depressed, drug-affected by alcohol stage to a more, ooh, excited, and what's going on here? So that's what sends the central nervous system in more of a cascade event and alarm and what we call a hangover. So if a hangover is an alcohol withdrawal symptom, does that mean the hair of the dog or more alcohol is a legitimate way to feel better? Beach says no. It's about as valid as the old myth that coined the phrase. People believed in olden times that when someone, I don't know if you know the story, was bitten by a rabid dog, the belief was if you could clip some of the hair from the dog that bit the person and give that to them to ingest and swallow, that they would be cured of rabies. And as we know, that is not the cure. So neither is drinking again to try to cure the hangover. What it does is give the body some more of the alcohol, certainly, which slows down the effects of the hangover. It sort of, if you will, cushions and helps the hangover not be as harsh. But the hangover, the actual alcohol leaving the body, is still happening. Some of the symptoms may be a little dampened, but it's still there. Alcohol is a diuretic, so people who are suffering from a hangover are often dehydrated. Veach says drinking water to rehydrate isn't a bad idea, but it's not a cure. Companies even exist, notably in Las Vegas, that offer IVs for fluids and electrolytes the morning after a binge. But getting over it still takes time more than anything else. The liver goes at one speed and one speed only. doesn't matter how much coffee somebody drinks or how many cold showers or how much stumbling around they do. It will not speed up the liver's breakdown of the alcohol from the body. So that's what's going on when there's a hangover. The central nervous system and the liver are very involved in breaking down that alcohol and it being eliminated from the body. No matter how much water you drink or how much hydration you have, we do not see in the research that that does anything to cure the hangover or the effects of alcohol leaving the body. Drinking one glass of water per alcoholic drink during a night of partying could be more helpful, if only because you're consuming less alcohol. And Veach says that's really the key to avoiding a hangover, consuming less alcohol. 
She advocates a little planning ahead of time. Talk with friends, make some agreements about what's too much, just even beginning to open that door. The ideas about pacing, you know, do I want to have one drink an hour and limit it to that? If you want to be in the spirit of the party, you can have a non-alcoholic, colorful drink that may be just as whatever, green or pink or purple, but it doesn't have any alcohol in it. If you don't follow that advice and find yourself feeling awful the morning after, all Veach can suggest is something for your headache and eye shades to keep out harsh, painful light. Because for revelers, a hangover cure is still an elusive holy grail. You can find out more about all our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. The cost and impact of Alzheimer's disease are growing. The Alzheimer's Association 2017 Alzheimer's Disease Facts and Figures Report finds that total annual payments for health care, long-term care, and hospice care for people with Alzheimer's and other dementias now exceeds a quarter of a trillion dollars. And that doesn't include the human impact on more than 5 million Americans living with the disease and another 15 million serving as unpaid caregivers. According to Ruth Drew, Director of Family and Information Services for the Alzheimer's Association. The physical and emotional strain many people experience when caring for someone with Alzheimer's is significant. More than one out of three caregivers say their health has gotten worse compared to only one out of five caring for older people without dementia. Depression and anxiety are also much more common for those caring for someone with dementia. Every 66 seconds, someone in the U.S. develops Alzheimer's. It's the sixth leading cause of death in America. Find out more about the 2017 Facts and Figures Report at ALZ.org. Medical Notes this week. Government statistics are now quantifying the huge increase in drug overdose deaths. A report from the National Center for Health Statistics shows that the drug death rate in 2015 was between two and three times what it was in 1999. During those 16 years, overdose deaths rose an average of 5.5% per year. Researchers say heroin deaths tripled and now make up a quarter of the total, while deaths from prescription pain medications declined slightly. Millions of people take vitamin C to ward off colds and infections, but a new study finds that vitamin D is also important. The study in the journal BMJ shows that getting enough vitamin D cuts the proportion of people who get an acute respiratory infection by about 12%. Researchers say the study supports public health measures, such as fortifying foods to increase vitamin D, at least in locations where deficiency is common. And finally, are pharmaceutical companies getting away with murder in relation to high drug prices? The president thinks so, and about 75% of people agree. The Zogby poll for the organization Prescription Justice shows that 45% of people think the prescription drug supply system needs a major overhaul to reduce prices. About 30% of respondents say they failed to get a prescription filled at some time in their life because it costs too much. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. National Kidney Month is a good time to learn about how to protect your kidneys. 
For example, maintaining a healthy weight is especially important for people who have or are at risk for kidney disease. But how do you do that? Lauren Gleason, Senior Director of Nutrition Services for Fresenius Kidney Care, has some tips. Focus on eating more fresh, unprocessed foods, including fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh meats, and unrefined carbohydrates, such as brown rice. Be sure to include good fats like olive and canola oil and some protein with every meal to help you feel fuller longer. People with kidney disease should consult their doctor or dietitian about some fresh foods that may be hard for their kidneys to handle, such as bananas and citrus fruits or too much protein. And here's some tricks. Keep healthy foods at eye level in the pantry and fridge with less healthy foods out of sight. And choose smaller plates. You'll eat less. Losing just 5% of your body weight, even if you're still overweight, can reduce your blood pressure and thus your risk for kidney disease. Talk to your doctor before starting any diet or exercise program. Find out more at FreseniusKidneyCare.com. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.